I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection scene to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Twig 158. We got two interesting articles we're going to talk about. Of course, Deconstructing Axie Infinity by Master of the Meta. And we are going to talk about Eric Kress's favorite subject, Activision Blizzard, <laughs> and, and some things that are happening with the CEO, as everybody knows. So we're going to have most likely a hot, hot take. Uh, how is everybody doing? Can't Good. complain. Sorry, making coffee in the background. I apologize for the noise. What kind of coffee are you making? It's been making coffee for like Dude, 15 minutes. Keurig things are actually awesome, right? Because it, it limits my uh, coffee consumption. Because if I build, if I take a pot, of, if I do a pot of coffee, I'll drink the whole app and thing, mm -hmm. right? But this, you do. Oh, do you have these Dunkin' Donut yeah, coffees? Exactly. Like I do one cup at a time, <laughs> and it's actually not that bad, right? It's not great, but it's not bad. No, no. No, I'm a I'm one of those weird coffee people. I have like a little Bialetti, oh, put it on my you're stove. Like, yeah, you're a pure a great, you know, Stan, great coffee. Stan Kwan, like, every time I go over to Stan's house, he's yeah. all, "Do you want some coffee?" I'm like, "Is this going to take like 45 minutes to make? Maybe I don't want this coffee, right?" But then he just does it anyway. It was he has like, his old like little routine and stuff. Yeah. We had uh, at a, at my previous studio, we had um, we had we had guys like like really getting into coffee. Like they would do these pour overs and their measure, and they would like measure the uh, the the <laughs> you know the temperature of the water. And I was like, "How long is this taking? Like <laughs> we're paying for all of this. Like like coffee break can't be like thirty minutes. <laughs> you know, come on, guys. No, I'm just kidding. It was good coffee, but it took a while. It took a hot hot minute when they made a coffee. Um, I did this. I uh, there's just no good coffee places around me. Like there's just no good. There's Starbucks and like Tim Hortons. Like Tim Canadian Hortons. <laughs> yeah. The, the, Tim Hortons is like the quintessential Canadian crappy coffee yeah. place. Uh, but yeah, there's none. So I was like, you know what? I, I can spend, you know, a little extra time and actually have a decent coffee in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Good. Yeah. 
I, I wrote this Twitter thread a, a couple weeks ago. I was I was driving to Houston and I stopped at a gas station and I I, I like I I always get coffee at gas. I like it. I like gas station coffee. It's good. <laughs> and I so I was like in my car waiting for my car to fill up, and I wrote this t- Twitter thread. I was like, you know, there's no like the coffee that you pay a lot of money for. This like artisanal mm-hmm. uh, coffee from like Blue Bottle or whatever. It's not objectively better. It just tastes different, and and people convince themselves it's better because they paid more for it. But gas station coffee is just as good as Blue Bottle. It's just as good as whatever you'd make on the little pot that you put on the stove. Uh, you measure the acidity. It's just as good. There's no difference. Coffee's not supposed to be tasty. It's like blue-collar fuel. You're supposed to drink it early in the morning because you're tired and you got to go to work. And anyways, I wrote this Twitter thread, and I, I got know. more hate from that Twitter thread than I've ever gotten from anything that I've ever posted. Yeah, you don't mess with people's Blue Bottle, <laughs> people, dude. People are so what? opinionated about coffee. No, you didn't. You did not. To be honest, I do. I don't like. I don't obsess over acidity levels or water, whatever the hell. Mm. Bialetti is actually pretty easy to make. Like you just put it on the stove, boils, it's done. It's like making a, a cup of tea, and then this. Yeah. <laughs> Super drinks. But yeah, it's black actually pretty easy coffee. to make. And uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, blue bottle coffee. If I really I can't stand really yeah. acidic. So black rifle man, yeah. I'm an investor in the company. Too. Yeah, he's a, he's in Austin. I knew that he's he's all about black rifle coffee. That's on his Range Rover, the uh, the tinted black windows and the black rifle coffee uh, sticker. That's that's Eric Suford for you. <laughs> no, I I I tried. I sold it. I got I got rid of it. Oh yeah, yeah. On uh, on Friday, I got a new car. Are you back on Volvo? Now I went back to back to Ben's, baby. Nice. See, life. Yeah, good. I went back to the the midsize SUV, the Range Rover. It had to go, man. It was. Oh my god, it you was, got rid of it already. Trouble. I was, <laughs> dude. It was. I was. It was. A, there was oh, yeah. a problem with it every those, month. Once those a things month, are I had notorious. To, take it to the to the yeah, shop, right? But there's unless they want yeah. to sponsor this podcast. All right, so. let's move on. We got to talk about <laughs> games. Money. Let's move on. Let's talk about. Let's talk about crypto again. Everything is crypto today. <laughs> no, so, I'm not talking Eric, crypto. Crest. Oh, I guess I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> a day after the podcast drops, right uh, after earnings from Zynga, there is this image that was broadcast by Mr. Bernard Kim at base at uh, at uh, Zynga with him and Matt Wolf, right? And I swear to God, this shit just writes itself, right? It's like unbelievable to me <laughs> that this like Bernard Kim and his big old smile with his little selfie, dude. Oh, anyway. So basically, he's doing a, a selfie with the crypto god at Zynga, Matt Wolf, right? And they look like they're at a San, like a Santa Monica resort, right? They have lawn chairs in the background with fancy drinks and a pool is like really close, right? They're like loving life, right? And of course, of course, as I said, Matt is absolutely shredded, dude. He's like mid fifties and he is fucking shredded, dude. Shredded. He must be at least sub twenty BMI. Easy, <laughs> easy, right? So basically, he checks all the boxes for the leader of NFTs at Zynga with his BMI, right? Um, and then, and then on top of it, it's like I can imagine that when they're taking this like selfie, they're like, "Say NFTs," and he's like, "What's an NFT? Doesn't matter, cheese." You know, like that's what's happening right now, right? This big old selfie. Anyway, all right. That looks like Manhattan Beach, to be honest. Whatever, dude. No, you know what I think it is? I think it was I think it was uh, shutters on the sand in uh, Santa Monica. Anyway, dude, mm-hmm. that uh, that high. They're just making my there. assessment mm-hmm. even more accurate at this point uh, of the situation. So good luck to Mr. Matt Wolf with his <laughs> NFT uh, Coca Cola experience. Right, moving on. Um, the other news I'm throwing throwing shade is uh, 
Crafton's uh, PUBG New State just released, and it is off to a rough freaking start, <laughs> let me say. Um, to be clear, this is the mobile game from Bluehole. Bluehole was a developer of the PC version of PUBG, right? The game is, this New State game is competing directly with PUBG, which was built by Tencent and was licensed um, by, by Tencent to, to build it on mobile. So the really funny part is that actually if you search PUBG New State on the store on Apple, the first two results are actually the original PUBG because Tencent's totally bombing them on, on the store search, right? Um, and that's obviously no coincidence. Um, so I guess what's happening is it's crashing on Android 12. Evidently, they did not test it for Android 12, which makes no sense. Uh, there's unstable connections. Um, they, oh, why didn't I write this down? Anyway, there's just all kinds of bugs with the, with the game, and, and it's just not going well so far. And so far, they only had 20 million downloads, which is a lot by most definitions. But Call of Duty had uh, 100 million in, in, in seven days. They only have 20 million in five days, and this is from the company themselves. So it has a 3.0 rating on iOS, um, and you know, obviously definitely off to a rough start. So the fundamental thing is that these are their golden cohorts, right? These are the people that basically pre-ordered the game or pre-registered for the game. And so like not having it ready and ready for prime time is pretty risky, generally speaking. So I think next week we're going to have to do some kind of bet on what this does in the first 12 months. But if I were to guess, it's going to do far less than, than Call of Duty did even. Um, uh, so, but we shall see. But the company is basically saying that they can do like a billion dollars in revenue, which just almost seems unachievable at this point. Um, billion dollars within the year? That? Or, or like I, a billion dollars I lifetime, a billion dollars, billion within, dollars the year. within this year, or what? Like the first twelve months. Okay, wow. What's the RPI the, the, looking the, like? The, you know what's crazy is it's really that? low. Like the downloads are really low, but the the RPI is the same as Call of Duty went out. And if you remember when Call of Duty came out, the reason that we didn't think it was going to do well was because the monetization was trash at the beginning, and they kind of improved it over time. What I, my guess was, and I was a little bit wrong, is that they would have better monetization with lower downloads. Um, because they would have optimized around, around uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, you know, on revenue. Uh, but now, with all the technical problems they're having, they're probably getting a lot of, uh, of retention issues because it's unplayable, right, for a lot of people. So maybe that's part of it. So we'll have to just see. Um, but before it gets too much data, I want to like get us to like at least think about what we could do, have an over under or something. Um, and of course, Mishka will always be wrong on these things. So it's basically between you and me, Adam. No, I'll be. I'll. I was <laughs> right on call. And all we, all we do is look at the RPI curve and the downloads curve. Like it's <laughs> like I don't. I don't really make any like crazy, no, crazy but, differences. Yeah, right. That's more than most investors do because even though they had the worst launch ever, right, the stock was still up today and yesterday. Like, like, and and, and you know what? What stock was down was uh, C, right? The ones that do. Uh, Garena, right? It's like, dude, Garina. this game's not competing against Garena. You guys are crazy. It's even a different market for most part. Anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. So a few updates. So uh, Phil Spencer says some of the NFT games feel more exploitative than about entertainment. And Phil is, of course, the, uh, the head of Xbox. And in the interview, he said that the current situation with NFT games is a lot of speculation and experimentation. And added that exploitative games is not the kind of a content he wants on the Xbox storefront. So I think it's safe to say that we won't be seeing much crypto games on, on, on Xbox anytime soon. 
Um, just one. Uh, the, the second update, actually I have two more. These came out really quickly. So uh, Tencent Le- and Lego piled up with 34 million round on a gaming startup called Mode IO. Uh, the round was led by Tencent. They got participation from Lego Ventures and, of course, returning investors in Makers Fund and Play Ventures. Uh, so Mode.io works with studios around the world to enable and support user-generated content across a number of games. The company aims to use the investment to work with more developers on implementing mods and UGC across multiple platforms. And I think this news was interesting, not because it has great investors, but because at the same time, Overwolf from Tel Aviv uh, got a 75 million Series D, which before that, I think they got this year over 50 million round on a similar type of a platform. So it's an all-in-one platform that enables creators to build, share, and monetize in-game apps and mods. And um, Overwolf offers game developers a full-service UGC experience by managing content moderation, including toxicity management, the community of players and creators, IP, UGC-related live ops, compatibility testing, file hosting, processing, you name it. They have 87,000 creators and are using the Overwolf framework to build and distribute, monetize their in-game apps and mods, more than 20 million gamers, yada, yada, yada. So I just wanted to get your opinion, like what's going on with these uh, modding platforms? These are massive raises. Can I, are, are you getting paid out? by these people? <laughs> you getting paid by Overwolf? No, no, it's like... So I, <laughs> okay. but, but you are an investor in Play, which invested in Mod.io, right? I'm not an investor in Play, no. Oh, okay. It's so the other way around. Wiser. Like, we just got to be very, very like... Mishka, you're a What's our bias I'll be clear. I'll be clear. I'll be clear. So I, I, was, I wasn't about to add Mod.io news here because I don't know enough about it. But this Overwolf came came to me like five minutes ago. Like we, we get these emails from um, from press releases when everybody raises. Like they sent to Deconstructor of Fun as well to the info mailbox. So I was like, what is this? What is an Overwolf in 75 million raise? So I... So I just wanted to bring these two news pieces and ask you guys, like, what is going on with I, these look, mod I, platforms? Look, Overwolf is an amazing tool to download mods and things for games. And I think it's a social, potentially a social hub for people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that Discord type thing. But um, even Discord has questionable uh, monetization strategy, right? They don't know how to monetize the audience. Hell, Twitch doesn't even know how to monetize their audience. And they're huge, right? So it's like... Yeah. I'm not sure what they see here, except for it is a aggregator of 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 people and and gamers that they can maybe leverage with something else. And I, that's what yeah, I'd be really interested to see what 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 Andreessen sees in this. Um, Seventy five million, Jesus Christ! They must have some kind of growth yeah. plan. So yeah, I don't know. But they just raised fifty four. I think yeah, I was the previous round. Yeah, and typically, mod, like in, first in parties mod. will offer modding solutions directly in the launcher, right? Like Steam has modding directly in it, directly competing against this. Same thing with like I'm assuming Epic would start offering similar services, or pretty simple to do it if the, this was actually maybe money-making. you know the metaverse type thing, building user generated content, or you know then you throw in like. Let's just throw crypto in there just to fucking do it, right? Let's, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, 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 build good, just sprinkle it all top of generated NFT content, right? Something like that, right? Yeah. I, got, I got all the buttwords, Mr. Andreessen. Yeah. I got this. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Suford? Like, what's what's your take on this? 
Um, I don't have one. I what's interesting though is that you know these these Overwolf invested into Forte, so it's like this. It's like the swirling <laughs> pool of money that just kind of like <laughs> floats around the ecosystem, which is awesome. I wish some of that would come my way, but you know, if not. Uh, maybe I don't. Maybe I got to start uh, an NFT podcast. Well, all right. Uh, last piece of news, and here. I'm gonna, so Audio Mob, it serves audio ads inside mobile games, raised 14 millions in Series A. The Series A was read, led by Makers Fund and Lightspeed Ventures, and the valuation of Audio Mob after that was 110 millions. And clearly, audio ads are becoming a thing. So, caveat: Eric and myself and invested in audio, and we had a the audio founder. He was talking on the on the previous episode of Growth Trigger, so you can go back to listen about. Um, the whole thesis behind audio ads. Uh, suggest you check it out, and I think just it's just great that um, there's more companies that are that are growing the uh, the whole the whole business. Can I? Can I? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good validation, right? I mean, I think this is going to be a big, important market, so it's good to have you know second second company entering the fray here, uh, raising money, and I think it's it's just a great validation of of this you know sort of like very nascent opportunity. Yep. So why do you think audio ads is going to become a thing? Eric has a good well, I can t- Yeah, I can tell you my thesis, which is what I share. So I we invested. So I was the first investor into Odeo with the Mobile Dead Memo Syndicate. And the thesis there is, is IDFA, you know, so ATT is going to create, you know, extreme friction for hyper-casual, right? And the hyper-casual model really is just stuff as many ads into the first couple of sessions as possible um, and force people to be exposed to them, right? I mean, these are interstitial, fully disruptive ads that, that, that block access to gameplay, right? Um, and, and, you know, you churn these people out quickly and they move on to the next hyper-casual game, but that's not the point. You, you squeeze three to four, um, you know, three to four ad views out of them, you know, in, in, that, in that life cycle, right? Well, that's just not going to work anymore. Like, even, even given, you know, the, the sort of acknowledgement that, like, the retention is very weak for these games, um, and they turn out quickly. If you add even more friction, you know, it, that the level of friction that you currently see in any kind of hyper-casual game is not going to work when the CPMs drop by 40% or 30%, right? And so what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to sort of increase the retention, right? You're going to need to sort of maintain that same level of ad exposure, but with increased retention, right? Because that's the only way you're going to get that level of ad exposure, right? Is if people stick around longer, um, you know, to, to sort of in- increase the amount of ads that they, that they're, that they're, that they see. And well, how do you do that? Well, you make the ads less obtrusive, right? Or intrusive, right? Like you, you make them unobtrusive, you make them sort of like seamless into the gameplay. Um, and you create an experience where, you know, the ads, if not additive, at least aren't like annoying, at least don't drive you out of the game. And audio is a great way to do that. You can have these ads that stream sort of in the background that people are exposed to while they're playing. You can incentivize them to turn the audio on. I think one of the biggest, um, you know, points of contention that I've, I've, I've heard since, you know, kind of announcing Odeo was that, well, people don't play games with their audio on, and, and so no one's ever going to hear the ads. Well, it's pretty easy to incentivize them to turn it on, right? Um, and that actually hasn't been much of an issue. It's actually something like 70% of users have audio turned on when they're playing games anyway. So that hasn't really been a blocker. It hasn't been a, um, a hurdle to clear. Uh, and so I think, you know, what you see is, is just this opportunity to, like, really integrate ads into the gameplay in a way that sort of gives people the best of both worlds. Well, they're able to access these free games. They're able to, you're able to do really cool stuff with incentivizing, listening to the ads, um, and having people engage with them after the ad plays. But at the same time, you're not just forcing them out of the game because these ads are so disruptive to gameplay that you just can't play the game. So, I, I mean, I think it's, it, and you know, you're seeing a lot of these types of approaches to advertising 
um, emerged post ATT where like we've got to integrate ads into the game in a way that just doesn't stop people from playing the game. So what was, what was the stat that you had in terms of the actual listening? How many people actually listen to games when they're playing it? Because I never do. 70%. Really? Yeah, something like 70%. I don't remember, but, um, you know, the, one of Odeo's first, I mean, I don't remember the exact number. It was, it was 70-ish percent. It was, it was well, well over half. But uh, one of Odeo's first um, kind of beta partners or whatever uh, published that stat. I mean, it was very high. Like, the vast majority of their players were listening with sound on or playing with sound on. And so it wasn't a problem to, to just have audio ads playing in the background. All right. Are we ready for the next? Let's go. All right. Let's go, At- Chris. Rev up the, yeah. the engine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I can't be as flippant on this one. So Activision Blizzard. So there's a huge article in the Wall Street Journal that's been picked up by many, many outlets that basically claims that uh, the Activision Blizzard CEO knew about misconduct at the company for years. Um, and, and basically the, the article kind of articulates like, the three or three three incidents in which he knew was aware of, and also a few incidents that he was involved in, which is also kind of scathing in some ways. Um, so basically, the first one was this, and I think the most egregious one was this one, where there's a sac- sexual harassment claim against Dan Bunting, the head of Treyarch, um, in which uh, he was to be fired, but Kotek intervened and kept him in the company with uh with uh, with some counseling etc so he actually ended up resigning a few days ago after this this was actually announced um there was also an uh i think alleged rape at, at sledgehammer which was ignored by hr um and was settled uh only after she sued later on um about the incident and the other one which was something we were aware of is that Kilgore at Blizzard was also let go after multiple counts of sexual harassment. And Kotick approved this, this letter that was written um, by Morheim in theory, uh, thanking him for his contributions after telling the people that were involved not to say anything, right? Um, and then finally, the two incidents that Bobby was directly involved were were, were basically um, ignoring a sexual harassment from a flight attendant on, on a flight um, and threatening her with, with getting fired after the incident. And then also this this voicemail that he did like 16 years ago in which he threatened to kill an assistant if she didn't get in line or something like that, which was he apologized for ages ago. Jeez. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of things going on in this article and they were really well documented and clearly very, very accurate in their depiction of what was going on. Um, but the last thing that was also mentioned in the article was giving a little bit more uh, color as to why uh, Jennifer O'Neill left. Um, so... Evidently, she wrote a letter. Uh, if you remember, she was appointed as interim chief of Blizzard with 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 uh, you know after after the departure of Jay Allen, um, and she wrote a letter to emails legal team, basically saying that the they she had lack of faith that the company was uh, addressing the to- toxic culture, um, and that uh, they would never. It was clear that they would never. The company would never prioritize our people in the right way. And so <laughs> in the email, basically talked about how she was sexually harassed early in her career in Activision and she was paid less by her fellow male co-heads, et cetera, and that she wanted to discuss her resignation. So, and, and basically at the end it says, I've been tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against. And it, the implication here is this was like her main, main concern 
and that her concerns were not being addressed by management, even though she was outlining them. And that's likely the reason that she left the company. Um, so what's my take on all this? I guess <laughs> for me, it's not what should happen necessarily, but w- what will happen. And, and from that perspective, I can basically give you my quote unquote ex- expert opinion. So the stock continues to get punished, right? Which I know is not important when it comes to these things, but it is important from the board perspective, right? It's got down another 10%, which is a 12-month low, off like 35% from its peak. Meanwhile, the board is out there basically supporting Bobby and, and basically supporting Bobby in his efforts to make Activision a welcoming and inclusive company. Um, and so the quote is, the board remains confident in Bobby's Kotick's leadership commitment and ability to achieve these goals, which absolutely incensed many, many people, particularly people that were working at Activision Blizzard, right? That the board was, was uh, putting was, uh, you know, putting Bobby ahead of, of the needs of the company in some ways. So so what does this all means? It really kind of is unclear, in my view, frankly, is that um, there are likely big shareholders that will bring potential lawsuits against uh, Activision Blizzard, uh, put indirect or direct, indirect meaning, you know, back channel type things or direct pressure on Bobby and the board. The board is ultimately what decides whether or not Bobby leaves or go. But the board is very, very loyal to Bobby. And this is actually a critical part of this. And some would say that Bobby kind of owns the board um, in in that way. So so in some sense, Bobby has to decide to leave, right? You know, weighing the risks of further disruptions of the company with the kind of the humiliation of getting kicked out of the company that he built. I mean, you have to understand a lot of these CEOs are complete megalomaniac narcissists, right? They Giving up power and control is almost impossible or, or very, very hard for them to do. Um, but it is very likely that they should get, the prep board should get some pressure to get rid of him. Um, you know, what the company's doing, people within the company walking out, you know, that could help kind of like cement that as well. Um, but the honest truth, I really just don't know what happens here. You know, it's really, you know, unclear to me exactly what will happen. Um, and again, I'm not really commenting on what should happen, but like just as a, as an analyst trying to figure out what's going to what's going to happen, it's it's really hard to know. So I hope that I did a decent job of that. It was it's uh, very I'm, challenging. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty tangled a web. Pretty, you know, it's a very very you know toxic discussion. Um, and I think, like, if I'm going to speculate here, I, like I'm not sure how Blizzard Activision moves forward without him gone, right? I think if he stays at the company, you're just going to see further and further max exodus people as they should be. Um, and even more allegations will surface. I don't think these are it. Um, so even though Bobby won't be forced right now, I think he eventually has to come to that conclusion. And really, if any single one of these allegations are true, then he absolutely deserves to be let go. These are all pretty shameful acts. So I think for the company and the remaining great people there, they need to separate him like they need to separate from them and take another deep, sincere look at the company culture and make sure there is no remnants of this toxic behavior left. Um, because otherwise, I just think these scars are just going to keep coming back. It's inevitable when you have somebody really at the top of this company condoning this type of behavior. Um, this wasn't just going to be a small group of Blizzard deviants um, up to JL and Black, right? So how much deeper does this go? And I think they still have to have those sincere looks at the company to figure that out. Um, and yeah, I, 
I understand the analysis. It's difficult because that's your job. You have to try to figure out what the prediction is. But um, my stance is that I absolutely stand with the staff of Blizzard um, Activision King and, you know, walking out and saying that Kodak really needs to step down. I think that's the only way forward for this company to heal and to focus on making great games again. Yeah. And I, I, Eric, can you explain you know, what so my, guy, I think you're he, kind of right. I mean, basically got the, 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 the absolute like, um, the vitriol on Slack and other outlets is just pretty dramatic. Like, I, I think you're right. I think the company really is not going to have, be able to heal until someone else is in charge, but, um, but we'll see, you know, how, how Bobby handles it, uh, going forward. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to tune in <laughs> to what's going on. Um, and to be honest, like good on O'Neill for stepping up and putting that note out. Um, hey. I think she, that that's a really, really hard note to, to read. Um, yeah, and I think from my perspective, what that confirms is that these issues are not going away, right? These issues are, are current, right? They weren't paying attention to what she was saying about these things and what she was recommending as a means of, of, yeah. of, of remedying them. I mean, that's the implication anyway. I don't really know the detail, but, um, and so it's, it's, even though historically, I mean, a lot of these incidents were, were a long time ago, but it's still clear that the current culture is just not sustainable um, and that Bobby is not doing what he's saying he's doing or the board says he's doing. So anyway, we will see. Hey, Eric, can can you, what's yeah. the history on this guy threatening to kill somebody and he was able to keep his job? That seems egregious to me. It, I think it was like a voicemail where he basically threatened her and, and I'm sure he was, uh, it was like 16 years ago. It was a long, long time ago and it was adjudicated back then too. And so he yeah. basically apologized profusely about it and said like he was just not, you know, not a good place, right? <laughs> Sounds like an LA talk. <laughs> but that that was that was the gist of it. I mean, it was just a voicemail that he was upset and he just said, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. Something along those lines. But I don't, I don't, I don't really know all the details around it. But it was an old, old case. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's just I, I can't um, imagine someone keeping their job after threatening to kill. That's that's just like deranged that you would do that. Well, that seems like you have, you well, lack judgment. Like that's that's a that's a serious. Uh, you know, that, that's just, that just sort of like it calls into question your ability to do anything. If you're running around threatening to kill, you can't deal with the stress of your job at that point. If you're threatening to kill people. I'm thinking about like entourage. Like that was yeah. like back in the days when entourage was running like Ari, Ari Gold, Gold type yeah. of a behavior. <laughs> like <laughs> I think it fit in the uh, 2005 world. Yeah. Maybe that was, that was acceptable. Yeah, but I just, it just feels like that's a total indictment of, of your, abilities to lead people like if you're having to threaten people with violence or something like that it, anyway well let's see when you have your pa <laughs> <laughs> um all right let's move forward that's a this is a heavy just heavy topic um let's go to something lighter <laughs> nfts <laughs> axie infinity um, so this week, Mouse of the Meta put together uh, and published an article, Axie Infinity, Infinite Opportunity, Infinite Peril, um, which is really the, arguably the best analysis that I've seen on Axie Infinity so far. 
Um, it's objective analysis and used a ton of great publicly data um, data sources um, to really pull it all together and show a full view of what Axie is doing and what um, SkyMavis is going to be building in the future. Um, so I'm just going to point out some of the key points that suck in my head, but I really push everybody listening to this podcast to read. It's long, but it's very well worth it if you're trying to dive into this space. So SkyMavis started building the game back in 2017. Um, offered their first axes in 2018. Um, their PC uh, launcher launched in 2020, as well as migrating to Ronin, which was the start of really their inflection point. Um, they showed actually some publicly available retention numbers for the game, and the DX retention profile is stellar. Really, nearly 60% D1 retention, and showcased things like D30 to D60 being effectively flat, which is exactly what you want to see out of your live service. Although it's not really clear whether the retention is of wallets or player, um, so I wasn't completely clear on that. Um, but they did show DAU of actual battlers playing the game has reached 2 million in October, with roughly 60 to 70% of that coming from Southeast Asia. And all this has culminated in their financing round in October by Andreessen, 452 million, valuing them at 3 billion, which is ignoring the nearly 7 billion in uh, AXS token if sold. But just keep in mind, it would not retain its value if you tried to sell 7 billion of that token. Um, but then we start to get into the issues and I think the risk to its sustainability. The game right now is managed by both NFT axes and a digital currency LSLP or Smooth Love Potion. And Master the Meta has objectively shown how both are getting hard hit by inflation by not capping ownership and, ha- and not uh, having effective sinks. So for Smooth Love Potion, there is no cap in total supply. So Master the Meta actually shows some really great visual graphs showcasing just the economy with high sources and very ineffective sinks. Um, since May of 2021, um, SLP has started to inflate. And actually since August, the price of SLP has started to decline because of this. Because the source being more players that are joining, the faster the acceleration of sources the more cheaply it is being offered in the marketplace, causing inflation issues. And since this is pay to earn or play to earn, you are incentivized to optimize your progression as much as possible. So just like MMO players strategizing over which modes are to the highest rewards per hour, this is now a job. So people are spending a ton of time looking up videos online about how to automate their grind as much as possible. So building bots to go through a checklist of daily engagement. And just getting into this, how much of this is a job, the minimum cost now to enter the game is $350. And that's roughly 40% of the average monthly salary in the Philippines with higher equaling higher, like higher spend upfront equaling higher daily engagement through energy. Since the more axes you own, um, the higher level those are, the more energy you have, which led to the rise of scholars or play for free and someone else uh, can rake your earnings. So this scholar system is now driving further inflation, that players are being paid real money by selling off their SLP they earn, driving that price down. And it's really reaching the tipping point because now new players, which is coded in this graph by the MMR or PVP ranking less than 700, are now earning less than the minimum wage in the Philippines for playing. And players above that MMR can still make more, but this range is still dropped to below the average of Philippines wage especially given the 30% rake that sponsors get. So effectively, now it's reached a tipping point where this is no longer 
more profitable than a minimum wage job. So really, there's some great analysis as well going into axes where similar to smooth love, there is an inflation, too many sources causing the value of them to decline and no effective way to sync axes. But it's interesting because it then shows really the cumulative graph of axes value converting to USD and that by now they have breached that billion dollars in potential revenue. So that whole article talking about run rate versus candy crush. Okay, that makes sense. But really 90% of that is coming from breeding freeze or AXS and is tied up in the value of that token. So while we can talk about run rate and revenue, if inflation impacts these coins, causes the declines in that value, the revenue or that number declines just as quick. And on the side, <laughs> trying to be a CFO of an NFT or crypto company <laughs> must be absolutely insanity. Like, how, like paying people, trying to make sure that you're actually paying them a fair wage is insane and making sure that you actually have enough cash on hand and are converting to cash at the, at the right cadence. I, I don't know how you do this. So anyways, Axie is at a tipping point. It'll be very interesting to watch. Dow is decelerating, but it's still growing, uh, which is really causing market um, prices to decline, which is getting to the point that the P2 or the play to earn offering to the majority of their players is decreasing. So my takeaway is Axie is at risk. So I may, maybe this is scrambling to create other forms of games. But the question remains, if Axie isn't sustainable, then can other NFT-based games be? Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and then regain control over distribution, Exola WebShop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash D-O-F, or go to the link in this podcast description. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. Yeah, this was a, this was a fantastic deconstruction. Like I actually read through everything and, and I was talking to Manu 
just a, just a moment ago, it was an exhausting read because there's so much jargon, so much new stuff. It's not even like understanding a free-to-play game. Like there's all these tokens and blockchains and 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 economies, and, and it's a, it's a it's an interesting but uh, but quite a hefty of a read. Um, oh, before I forget, uh, there's a code in the description of this podcast episode to get the uh, Master of the Meta subscription at a little discount for all the uh, Deconstructor of Fun listeners. So they have these type of deconstructions coming in uh, every every month. So so please check that out. Anyways, uh, my take on this is like um, I was reading through Sky Mavis's mission. It's like far more than than spurring economic opportunity through play rather than about building an amazing. Uh, it's it's more about uh, spurring economic opportunity through play rather than about building an amazing game. And and their mission is believing in a future where work and play become one in empowering players and giving them economic opportunities. Now, kind of questions that I have is like, is this a sustainable mission, is a sustainable strategy? Because games, aren't they meant to be, you know, entertaining, um, something where you connect um, and, and who needs sort of rare items in a game that is not fun to play? Are we just, you know, in sort of a pre- crash hyper boom phase where market is market speculation is sort of a norm or on the other hand is this the kind of like the first iteration of play to earn games where it's much like farm mill one it's just uh first iteration of these type of games and we're seeing um even though it's a complex and, and a game that has achieved a lot it's still a relatively simple uh sort of a first successful take on on play to earn so um it's a, it's an interesting uh, element. So in this article, they talk about the history of Sky Mavis that they began developing in 2017, uh, but work really started accelerating with the formation of Sky Mavis in 2018. So I think important part here is that this is not a sort of a money grab of 2021 where you quickly set up a company, uh, add an NFT and crypto to it, raise you know tens of millions and, and kind of uh, move forward from there, but it's actually been there. It's actually formated in 2018 and, and raised 150 million in 2021 from A16Z. And really, the 2021 has been the growth of, for for this company. Uh, they successfully migrated to Ronin, which is uh, a side chain of Ethereum, um, to my understanding. And it, it became it, through that it became economically viable and rewarding to not only buy but sell and trade the game core NFTs of the Axies. Um, the game, so Adam, you said the, uh, the crazy retention profile, uh, and, and kind of like looking at that profile and especially looking at the audience, most of the audience coming from Southeast Asia, uh, from Africa, as well as the uh, South America from countries like Venezuela. So, uh, really this, this retention profile as, as the article states is more of a retention profile for a job, not for a game. Um, the entry cost is extremely high, as you said. And most of the, the players are coming from poor countries. So that means that there are masters and, and those who are playing on a scholarship. So they farm for the masters. And, and just for those who are listening and, and haven't played this game or are not in the know, a scholarship is when a manager, a player who has more than enough axes, gets a scholar um, who can, to those who can't afford their own axie team uh, to play the game for them using their axes. The SLP earned by the scholar would then be split between the manager and the scholar depending on their agreement. And because the players don't play this out of out of fun, but it's said to make money, the economy can falter. And when it falters and there's no incentive to play, no monetary incentive to play, the game can die quite easily. So there's a lot of great, as Adam, as you mentioned, a lot of great graphs where, where the concerns of the sustainability are raised. Uh, not only with SLP, where, where they go through depths of 
how players earn it, uh, what kind of fixes they have been uh, against the inflation of this currency. Um, and um, uh, they go through the supply of the axes, that there's not enough sinks for the axes. So there's a there's a not only issue with the SLP being inflated, there's a potential issue with the axes because there's not enough sink for them. Um, they, they talk about the current economic policies being fundamentally unsustainable because the value of new axes and the SLPs popped and by popped up by new players putting fresh money into the game. If new players' growth diminishes like it has, it could send Axie Infinity into a recession. And as we know, with the most players playing just because they're earning money, if they earn less than the uh, the, than the, uh, the daily earn rate, they will just stop playing and then the game will be essentially dead. But there's a lot of things that, that of course, uh, SkyMavis guys really understand this and then they have a lot of solutions coming in. Some of them were pretty interesting. So, of course, they they, you know, they tweak the economy, they do all the uh, the basic stuff there, but they're also, for example, um, introducing a free-to-play game that it should be coming in early next year, to my understanding, or at least on, on the next year. And the, uh, I think the goal for that is sort of to be a Trojan horse, to get more users to enter the, uh, the Axie, Axie world by first kind of getting uh, accustomed to this, um, this free-to-play version. A very interesting strategy. It's almost like saying like free-to-play is easy, and it, it's just uh, it's like a, it's like an avenue to get more pay to earn players. But uh, we'll see how this works. Uh, the company has definitely enough cash to to make it work, and they have a very bold plans. But um, but it's 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 like the hardest thing about this is that the most of the players are not playing this because they want to play. They're playing this because it's a job. And and if the econ- economic incentive is broken, then the game is dead. Does anybody, right, I, does anybody know what, what, what's the background of the team? That did they come from games? Had anybody on the game dev team built a successful game? Yeah. Team? So so CEO CEO Sky Mavis was actually on on the podcast um, a couple of months ago. Um, he, no, they they don't have that type of background. Like his background was you know to some extent in competitive gaming, sort of like esports, like the uh, the typical. I think he was playing um, one of those shooter games. Not sure which one. I kind of forgot. But no, they don't have like a development background. At least he didn't. But I'm not sure if the uh, the development team. I think it talked about a little bit that they were in e-commerce before, uh, and then kind of formed this. What do you guys think about? I so I wrote on you know I, I wrote on Twitter the other day that my my thesis with 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 crypto gaming or you know Web three gaming whatever you want to call it is that a necessary precondition for being successful is having a founding team that is built a successful game before. I mean, that's generally my approach to investing in in gaming generally, but I feel like crypto, you can't you can't learn both things at the same time. Like I feel like you need to know, you need to understand, you know, the sort of like fundamental aspects of gameplay that make games engaging and um sticky. Um and then if you're going to layer crypto on top of that, on top of that, like that's the design challenge. It can't be learning how to build a game uh, and 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 then learning how to add crypto into like some sort of like uh, product, right? Like, does that do you agree with that or no? Absolutely. Like, it's, it's not even just like can you build games? It's can you build sustaining live services, right? Like, do you have background in deep CCRPG style economies? Do you have background in MMOs? Like, we already saw from the whole Amazon New World thing that even if you have MMOs in your background that does not necessarily mean that you can fully control an economy, right? My my worry though is like 
you know, you just with with crypto gaming right now and Web3 gaming, you have a lot of crypto people making games and not a lot of gaming people bringing crypto to game experiences. Does that make sense? Like, and I feel like that's the wrong way to approach it. And, and like to Miska's point, oh, free to play is easy. We'll do that. Like free to play is really hard. And like, that's scary when someone mm-hmm. says, oh no, we'll just make the free to play game and see, this is the strategy. It just feels like you're layering stuff on top of uh, an insecure foundation, right? Like free to play is really, really hard to get right. And I think what people do is they look at like the top apps in the app store and they say, oh, come on, anybody could have designed this piece of crap. Like I could do this. Uh, and, and, you know, cause I'm a crypto guy. And so I'll just find like the easiest pathway to a large consumer base, which is gaming. Um, and then you make the mistake of thinking that making hit games and, and successful games and games that can scale is really easy when it's really, really hard. Yeah. First of all, Mishka's been doing this 20 years. He still hasn't figured it out. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess roasted. Drill. <laughs> I would, um, <laughs> what can I say? I don't know why I'm throwing shade, dude. But like, uh, <laughs> I would say like, these are like the early, early days, right. Of, of crypto gaming. And these, these are the type of experiences that are being created by either people that know games or not know games. It doesn't really matter. It's like, it's basically, uh, taking advantage of what, what these things have to offer. Right. Um, I actually fundamentally believe that if, the only way that these things are going to be sustainable is if they have a robust secondary market. And that's what these games just don't have. It's like, it's all driven by new players and new content that's being delivered to the system. Right. And that's just not sustainable. Like economically, it's not sustainable. So, but your question about like, whether you need game developers, you know, we had tons of game developers that started at mobile free to play and it was a disaster, right? They were a train wreck. You know, these, I mean, Zynga, like their transition from, from Facebook to mobile was was horrific, absolutely horrific. These guys building flash games that had no business building games in mobile, nor were they even they were focused more on the uh, the early uh, monetization, right? Funneling as many people into the user experience as possible to monetize as fast as possible. When mobile was exactly the opposite, right? So these amazing developers for Facebook just were not useful at all, and that was the big transition that Zynga went through. Um, I'm not saying that it's exactly the same. I think there's a lot more complexity around crypto than there is moving from mobile or from Facebook to mobile. But um, but uh, but to uh, to Adam's point, you know, the more I investigate this with Forte and look through this stuff, it's like if you don't have the fundamental understanding of what people keep people engaged within with content, you know, whether it's an RPG or card game or you know simulation game. Like it's going to be hard to retain and keep people engaged with for very long, even if they're earning playing to earn, right? Maybe in, in, in some playing to earn models may work better than others from that perspective. Uh, but in terms of re-engaging the audience that's going to continue to spend and transact and, and, and build this economy around your game, yeah, I think you need to have some idea of how to design creative games. So one of the companies I just saw was, you know, a bunch of guys from HBO that are trying to build a shooter. And I'm like, really? Like you're building a crypto shooter and you're all from HBO, like, you know, like narrative-based development. It's like, how does that work exactly? (laughs) You know how hard it is to build a compelling and interesting shooter? You know, like... Was that the team that raised 10 million just recently? Um, Yeah. They were from narrative-based? They're they're from HBO. They've never made a game in their lives, right? Oh. So it's like, that seems... 
<laughs> Miska's like, hey, wait, yeah. I didn't get ten million. Yeah. Why can't I? I was like, I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I forgot the uh, I forgot the magic word. HBO or NFT. <laughs> so hey, no. By the way, I, I do want to give a shout out to Abby. Oh, what's the other guy's name? Anyway, from uh from Metacast. Yeah, what, Aaron Bush. Yeah, what's his name? Um, Aaron Bush, right? Yeah. So Aaron Bush. Um, they've actually done some amazing podcasts on NFT and crypto gaming. They've had some great, great uh, guests. You know, some just total evangelists of, of this stuff. Um, I was a little worried about these guys after that Bitcraft thing, <laughs> where they did some crazy forecast about the market. I don't know if that went over so well. But uh, but they're they're like looking like they're trying to like carve a niche within the crypto space and, and building a product around that. So this is like a free marketing thing for them. But um, I think they've had some interesting guests. They did this deep dive on Axie, um, and I think you know they had some good podcasts that were pretty insightful and helpful for me. So um, Metacast, I would take a look at it. Um, but anyway, I think we're again really early days, and 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 we'll see how this this evolves. But uh, I am uh, diving in still. I, Eric, Eric, I'm, I'm with you about, you know, I, so yeah, I, I think having games experience is, is necessary, but not sufficient, right? I mean, obviously, there are a lot of games developers that didn't, you know, manage the transition to mobile very well. But I think your point about Zynga is, is, is kind of supporting what I'm saying, right? Zynga had successful games on Facebook Canvas. They tried to transition to mobile, and they had problems with that, right? So they, they were trying to do one thing new, right? Now, imagine with crypto gaming... You're trying to learn how to build a game and trying to introduce an entirely new monetization and gameplay model in that game, right? You're trying to do two very fundamental things mm -hmm. that you've never done before. Like you've had successful game developers that built hit games on Facebook Flash that couldn't adapt them to mobile. That was difficult, right? Now there's people that have no gaming experience that are trying to build a game that works, that has a, you know, a stable economy that's not based on an influx of new players all the time. And also introduce to those players an entirely new mental model for how to interact with entertainment. That is impossible. You can't do both of those things, right? And that's why I feel like you need you need you need a team that's built a successful game before. They can't they can't they can't have to face the learning curve for that too. It's just too there's too many things going on. Like it's just I, I feel like that you, the, the the risk profile there or just the the probability of success is way too low. I I, I don't think I disagree with you. I I, I just. But I think I I would the, the skill set to build an economy versus building a game is completely different, right? And so that's what I'm saying. I guess you have to have both, right? Um, but I'm kind of with you. I would never fund something that is a bunch of guys that are crypto bros, you know, building games. But then again, like Axie Infinity is worth a gajillion dollars. So the, what do I know, you know? Um, and there are no gamers there, right? So. But I think the most successful games with the long, most long, long, long-term success will be a good combination of both. Right? Well, on that note, we can move along to Roblox. Um, so they uh, Roblox uh, held its analyst day yesterday uh, to discuss the future of the platform and their product roadmap. So I don't have a specific news article link, uh, but I found a lot of good insight on Twitter yesterday from people that were watching uh, in real time, and specifically from uh, Twitter account Okapi underscore digital, whom I believe formerly worked at a hedge fund and now is somewhat involved in, uh, somehow involved in the Roblox creator ecosystem. I think he works for a Roblox developer or something. So uh, I think uh, somebody we follow that account, Okapi underscore digital, 
doing good, good in, insight on Roblox. So I think Roblox is a, is a super fascinating business. And I've written about it a few times on Mobile Dev Memo. Certainly the company is benefiting from the current hype around the metaverse. But, you know, putting that term aside, which I think is just kind of a marketing jargon. I think Roblox represents the first true incarnation of what I have theorized is the future of mobile content platforms, uh, which means that it's available everywhere via all hardware form factors with persistence, right? Um, so, you know, you think about Roblox, you know, I wrote an article about this a couple, couple months ago. Like, why, why is Roblox allowed in the App Store? It's an App Store. If you open up <laughs> Roblox, it's an App Store. Like, well, for whatever reason they've been grandfathered in, I think the reason is... Apple can't afford to not have them there, right? It's too valuable. If Roblox is, you know, kind of a perennial top grocer, right? And I think if Apple were to say, no, look, you know, this kind of violates our terms and conditions, you know, you really look kind of like a, an app store because there's all these games that you interact with, um, you know, that's 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 Apple's loss, right? It's not Roblox's loss because kids are going to play Roblox on PC. They're going to play it, you know, however they want to play it on the web. Um, or no, I guess it's on the web. It's only on PC, Dude, but, but in, let, in any let me case... Just- can I interject quickly? I mean, dude, these are yeah. legions of kids that are becoming loyal to your platform because they're playing their favorite game on it, right? There's no better right. marketing tool to bring in that fucking audience. You know, they're not idiots, right? right. I mean, exactly. They don't give a shit about the revenue, right? Well, you know. I think they probably do give a shit about the revenue. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's you're just sort of inculcating a, a new generation uh, to love Apple products because that's how they play Roblox, right? Um, and so, you know, it, but, but, but if you sort of like, you know, hewed to the letter of the law there, that's an app store within the app store. Like it, it just is, right? And and anyway, we talked about this a couple months ago on the podcast because um, I think someone from Apple during the Epic trial said, no, 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 they're not games. They're experiences. <laughs> and so since they're not games, then you, you can't consider the Roblox container of experiences to be an app store because, you know, they're not individual games. Anyway, that's that was Apple's defense. But, you know, I think Roblox is kind of the the first sort of, materialization of what I think the future of, of mobile content platforms look like, sort of divorced from the, any given app store, you know, sort of totally agnostic to the hardware form factor that you engage with them with. So anyway, fascinating business. They had their analyst day. Um, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to focus specifically on three aspects of the business that the company's leadership highlighted yesterday during the analyst day. So the first is what Roblox sees as its market. So Roblox cited three broad categories as being constituent markets for its platform, which are mobile gaming, which makes sense. I think no one would disagree. Streaming video and social media. And so by logical extension, Roblox sees its market, right? Its total addressable market as the combined scale of these three categories, which is obviously massive, right? And I've got a chart in front of me that you can't see if you're listening, but basically, you know, they've got mobile gaming at 3 billion users, streaming video at 3.2 billion users, and social media at 4.3 billion users. Obviously, you sum up all those together, it's more than the population of the earth, but you know, <laughs> there's overlap. But but anyway, Roblox sees this total addressable market as being very, very big, right? So I would push back on this. I don't think that Roblox steals engagement from streaming video and social media, especially for the age ranges that those two categories are most relevant for, right? So most kids aren't spending a lot of time on social media, or at least I hope they're not. Uh, if they are, then I have very little faith that the next generation are not sociopaths. Um, but I, I hope they're not spending a lot of time on social media. And, and streaming video is also probably not very compelling for kids outside of how parents grant that access, right? So my, my son watches a lot of Netflix, but I sort of, I sort of set it up for him and I pick what he can, can watch. He doesn't have sort of like unfettered access to Narcos Mexico or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, this, so I, I, I kind of would push back. I would kind of, uh, I would, I would, I would sort of disagree with the definition of their market. Um, but I think 
you know, this segues into the next aspect of the business that I want to cover, which is what Roblox sees as its, as its, as its core demographic. So Roblox believes that its core demo is trending older. They showed a graph of the distribution of users in various age groups by quarter, by geography. And what you see in the graph is that the graph is leveling out. It's, 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 uh, it, there was a, a big peak, right? So they had in this graph, they've got the sort of nine to 12 year range highlighted. And you can see that, you know, previous quarters, the sort of concentration of players in that, in that sort of age range was very high. Um, and it sort of flattened out over time. It decreased over time and flattened out with the rest of the age ranges. Um, so again, you can't see the chart that I'm looking at, but just imagine a big peak, right? Which is, is, is decreasing, uh, sort of in severity. Um, and so Roblox made the point during their analyst day that, look, our, our, our demo is aging older. It's, it's aging up. Um, and therefore, you know, we're going to attract more sort of like serious devs to the platform. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I think the professionalization of content is a phenomenon that we're seeing now. Um, and there are more, quote unquote, serious game studios migrating to Roblox. I've seen a number that have, have gotten funding recently uh, as a development platform. But how meaningful is that migration? Um, and is this a chicken and egg dilemma where you need a nexus of older, higher ARPU players on Roblox before large developers are willing to take their content there? I think it's I think it's important that we haven't seen any sort of like major game studios move to Roblox in a meaningful way. Maybe some have done it as like a, a trial balloon, but I, I don't know that any like the sort of biggest game studios that do sort of diversify their their sort of like platform development uh, have have moved there in a meaningful way. I just don't think we've seen that, and I don't think you can make the case that that's happening. Um, and so the third aspect of Roblox's business that I want to kind of uh, hover over is advertising, which I actually believe is Roblox's most immediate and lucrative opportunity. So. Roblox already operates an advertising platform, which I gave some color on in a piece I wrote for Mobile Dev Memo a while ago titled, Roblox is the next big games advertising platform. At the time, I wrote that I felt Roblox could expand that ads platform, which was very primitive, um, and, but it hasn't changed. It, it essentially hasn't changed since I wrote that. And that was, I think, almost a year ago. So to be clear, the ads platform is used for games discovery in the store only, right? So where game developers can advertise their own games to potential new users. It's just a storefront ad, kind of like the Google Play ads that you know you buy as a game developer uh, at that sort of point of click, right? So what Roblox talked about in, a, in its analyst day yesterday is somewhat different from what they already have, right? So they want to offer an integrative native ad placement that advertisers can purchase to promote products that exist outside of the platform, um, but, uh, what, what, but which also would allow for Roblox developers to advertise their games within. Um, so the idea here is that you've got a native ad placement within a Roblox game, right? So within this, within my game, I could offer up this native ad placement that allows outside brands, you know, companies that don't operate Roblox games to advertise. So you get like the, you know, whatever Procter and Gambles and, and the Cloroxes or whatever advertising products within Roblox games, but also other Roblox games could advertise there to sort of promote their own game. Uh, where I think the real opportunity exists for Roblox is in developing its game promotion platform in this way, such that developers can systematically scale their games in a stable, predictable, and profitable way, right? So I think the ability to do this is probably a necessary condition for attracting bigger, more professional gaming studios to the platform. So my sense is that, you know, you can fix the chicken and egg issue that I mentioned before by building a sophisticated ad network that will attract serious studios to the platform, allow them to scale, and then motivate them to develop aged up content that they'll be able to target to the relevant users and grow into a viable product. So I think advertising probably solves some of these other problems. If you give developers the opportunity to build in a sustainable, scalable way their user base on Roblox, well, then you're going to attract the sort of professional scale 
developers to the platform. If 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 going to Roblox is essentially just a throw of the dice because you don't know if the game is going to take off in a viral way or not, well, then a lot of the big professional developers don't want to go there, right? Because they don't want to sort of uh, you know throw resources at just a, a a lottery ticket, right? And so I think you know if Roblox solves that problem and they make it really they make it sort of like straightforward to grow a product. Um, you know, in a, in a, again, in a predictable, sustainable way, then I think that's how you get the sort of more professional studios attracted to the opportunity there. And you bring them onto the platform, they start developing. And then once they realize, hey, well, we can, there is some segment of older users on Roblox, through this advertising platform, we can reach them. Then they build, they build the audience that way, that, that the sort of the, the scaling sort of aged up products on Roblox attract more older users to that platform. And then you get the flywheel moving that way. So I feel like advertising seems like it might be the sort of first order problem uh, or first order opportunity that unlocks these sort of like second and third order opportunities. But uh, happy to hear what you guys think. You think advertising is a big enough opportunity for publishers to move development resources to build games for Roblox? I mean, is that what you're suggesting? That well, no, what I'm suggesting is, is right now, you know, you build a game on Roblox and you just hope it takes off virally, mm-hmm. right? Like that's kind of what you have to do. And so no big developer is going to risk resources for that, you know, that that sort of just, you know, roll of the dice, right? Like if it's just basically maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I have no control over that. You're not going to get serious developers attracted to it. If, if they had more of a clear pathway, like if I build a good game that monetizes well, I can scale it up with ads, then it becomes more interesting. Okay, I got you. I got you. I don't know. I, I, I... But to, to, I think I think that could be one thing, one aspect of it. Because if you think back to um, Facebook Instant, they had that exact same problem, right? Where you could never control advertising towards your service. So even if you solved retention issues on Facebook Instant, which right. was enough of a problem, if you did, there was no way to scale it or grow it. You just had to keep yeah. leaning on Facebook to give you more installs, right? Now you'd actually have full control. Um, but there's probably other aspects that you'd need to actually spool up that, that flywheel and get professional game developers in. Like, I'm not sure if they've changed it, but isn't the rev share still like a major, like very much favoring Roblox? Isn't it still like 70, 30 for Roblox or something like that? I don't know what it is, but yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I, I, I think, I, I think you're right though. Advertising is their biggest opportunity, but it doesn't seem like they are pursuing it the way that you're suggesting at this time anyway, right? Like you're basically speculating that this is where they could move it to. But well, right now it seems to be advertising I, light, right? Yeah, it, well, it is. I mean, their, their platform was, was, was very sort of basic, right? Um, but, you know, the, what, what it feels like the direction they're moving in is let's create more placements and let's put them in the games. And well, maybe that works, and and certainly that increases like the surface area of where I can advertise. But we're, really, what you want to do is make the platform better, right? Because you you need the targeting and the sort of measurement to allow developers to utilize that to scale. Like just right. giving me more places to put my ad doesn't help me if there's no measurement whatsoever, and there wasn't in, in at least the last time I checked, uh, or when I did that sort of analysis. Um, and there's no there's no sort of like targeting, right? Now, if you you say the word targeting and you're going to spook people because Roblox is a kid's game, right? And so you got to be careful about that. But I think there's ways that you can do it that isn't like just, you know, uh, that isn't like sort of like, you know, scary or exploitative. Um, but, but you know, nonetheless, like just adding more placements, I don't think solves the advertising problem. You need to make an actual platform that provides enough insight for advertisers to know if they're spending their money well. And so that's the problem I would serve first. I mean, I think it's great to bring these ads 
into the games because then you get brands excited. Um, but if they, again, if they can't even really get a sense for like, you know, there, there wasn't even like, um, when I took a look at this and again, it was probably a year ago and maybe it's changed, but like, there wasn't even really a way to know how many people had installed your game as a result of seeing your ad. Right. And that's all on the platform. There should be no problem with that. Like it's all happening within the software. So you sh- that's, that's something that they could very easily report and they just didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, like the the stock is just going through the freaking moon right now. It's up like fifty five percent. You know, it's it's probably the, I think it is the largest behind Nintendo, a video game company. Now that Activision's on its ass, um, <laughs> so whatever they're saying, they're they're basically getting people all hot and bothered about, about this. And I've been yeah. bullish on the company for this year for sure. I just worry. I'm a little worried about next year, but like, I don't think it matters. I think the zeitgeist around this type of opportunity is so high and it's really the only way this and uh unity to invest in like the metaverse type concept um and i think that key- but but i remember when they went public you were talking very much about how their valuation was absolutely well yeah because i question right? their long-term their ability to, for long-term growth right um in order for them to adjust, because they're not making any money, right? They're 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 still unprofitable, as far as I understand it. So, um, in order to really justify the valuation, they have to continue growing at thirty to forty percent a clip, right, uh, every year. Um, but uh, but but you also have to appreciate the fact that this is like the world in which we live right now. So it's like, yeah. you know, like the the fundamentals of net are really yeah. strong yeah. for the Everything business, is right? but uh, the longer term growth, people are just assuming that that will happen. Right. So, yeah, I, I, you know, my my world, I have to be very pragmatic about these things because it's like, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta outline the risks. You can't just be just bull, bull, bull. Right. Um, but, uh, but anyway, is there, is there any sense of like what type of retention there is on the platform? Um, from a no, typical he, Roblox no. game? Because like, like I'm thinking about the gaps for myself to say, let's go build a Roblox game. I think advertising is is one piece of it. I think the rev share is another piece yeah. of it. Um, but the other part of it is having some, you know, cases of other developers going there and saying, look, this is the type of retention profile I got. We can actually build a live service here instead of, you know, just throwing a bunch of experiences on there and... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that it's so bifurcated between the people, you know, the games that are super popular to the games that aren't, right? That it's really, it's really focused. And and there's no logic or reason behind it, as far as I could tell. Like the top game is a pizza game because kids kids like because pizza is good. So if you make a, you know, if if you make a game that's a medicine game, it's not going to do well because medicine is bad. It tastes bad. but no, Eric, <laughs> Roblox is up seven percent today. I know, I know. But uh, uh, you know, so so I actually had a one of these expert calls a couple like a while ago with some you know, I guess it was a hedge fund guy in London or whatever, and he was just at and he's like, can you, can you, you know, in in the, in the spec. Now I, I don't do these calls anymore, you know, unless they ask for me specifically because then I know like what I'm getting into. But but before I used to just take them, and someone was like, I want to know more about Roblox. I'm like oh, okay, I wrote some articles about Roblox. I can speak to this. And this guy's like, what is Roblox's day one, day seven, day 30 retention? I'm like, I, well, I mean, I could guess. Do you want me to walk through what, the logic of, 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 of how I might sort of like, you know, make an estimate? And he's like, no, 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 I need to know the number. And I was like, I have no fucking idea, man. How could I possibly know that? And this was before they were public. 
Oh, right. And so I was like, well, you know, I can read you, you know, in the S1, it kind of, you know, it, it indicates that it's probably more looking like, no, 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 I need to know the exact numbers. I'm like, dude, the only person that could tell you that is someone that used to work at Roblox and they would be committing a crime if they did that. So like, I don't know who you think you're going to get these numbers from. And the guy just like hung up on me. But anyway, there's no, there's no public data about that. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would be like, you know, pizza and ice cream games are high and medicine games and going to school games are low. Right. Like, <laughs> well, and, but, and also like, like you have to appreciate the fact that it's not really even the, the, the stats around the games themselves it's the stats around the platform. Right. right? So the retention yeah. on the platform, I'm sure is like extremely high. Right. These are right, like, right, right. these people are, these kids are addicted, dude. Like they have like yeah. these, these monthly subscriptions in which they're constantly giving, you know, giving them heroin to go on and, and like shoot up with, with these games, you know, like it's, it, 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 it you know, I mean, so I, that's probably the metrics that they really that matter ultimately. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I and I'm still questioning. I see these charts and I see their their pitch about older demographics. I just don't see the content on the platform that's really catering to older demographics yet. Um, and maybe I should take a relook at it. Um, but again, geo and and demo are the one challenges I think they have with growth. Um, and then this whole China debacle seems like you know, that market's kind of closed to them as well. So, you know, I think there are some challenges ahead for these guys, but uh, right now they're just, they're just riding this wave of, 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 of hype around UGC and, and metaverse stuff. And again, there are only two investments that are in that space right now. So that's what happens. Um, All right. Oh, and then Epic. So the the, 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 the other thing that I keep hearing is that Epic is coming out with their tools and technology like next year, you know, to do build exactly what Roblox is building is and it it won't be nearly as robust, but it will be, you know, the early stages of them building out their quote unquote metaverse. Right. Um, So that will be interesting to see as well. I think it makes absolute sense for Epic and it definitely is yeah, a risk. And if Epic goes public, you know, like, which has also been rumored, then that would be another big competitor. Um, but there's a lot of money chasing this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I just don't know what to think about Roblox now. Like it's, it's $70 billion. Dude, they made 3 billion in revenue. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It's crazy. I love gaming, dude. Can I just tell you? So do we are in like the. So do we? I couldn't imagine a better time to be in gaming right now. Like, dude, the world is your oyster, dude. If you're yeah. not making money in gaming right now, you're doing something wrong. Just saying, um, it is crazy, fucking crazy. Well, on that right. note, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go make some money. Yeah, go make some money, dude. Later. <laughs> All right, let's end the podcast like that. That's good. See you guys. All right, late. Yeah.